Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Drone World. I'm your host for today, Tom Vest. I work in marketing at Copters and I'm joined with our business development manager for public safety in defense, Sam Deniff. Yeah, hello. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me in. Second one of the podcast. and uh, Second yeah, time around. Forward to it. Second time around for you, mate. So today what we're going to be going over is some of our most commonly asked questions with regards to drones for public safety. So Sam, how long have you been work- working in the sort of public safety and defence? Uh, yeah, so I've been working for Copters for just over five years. Of that, say, we're probably just over three working in public safety and defence. It was initially police and fire. And then it's kind of grown to include uh, search and rescue organizations, a bit of private security, and then the defense side as well. So yeah, decent amount of experience, I'd say. Nice, nice. So we'll kick straight off into it and we'll get into our first question. So are public safety uh, organizations using drone technology? Sort of, I'll let you run sort of free with how you yeah, answer that I, one. That could be a short answer. I could just say yes. Done. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah. So yeah, the short answer is yes, they are. We're probably now at 75 plus percent of, uh, of police and fire have some sort of drone team that ranges from uh, maybe one officer um, or one person with the qualifications to, to operate and maybe one of your smaller a drone like a DJI Mavic, something similar, who are operating that on call outs, right up to fully fledged 24 hour drone teams with 25, 30 plus pilots. 10 plus drones, big heavy lift operation drones, loads of the smaller drones, tethered options, fixed beam options, all kinds of stuff. So there really is a, a big range in terms of how developed these organizations are. But yeah, the, the vast majority of, especially police and fire, are utilizing drones in, in some fashion. And, and that some of them that, aren't, that don't have their own in-house drone units will use regional collaboration. So if they don't have if one force or service doesn't have a drone team, they might use a, a neighbouring a neighboring forces drones. Yeah, so like, who are some of the most noteworthy people that you worked with then, sort of over the, over the time period? Yeah, I mean, the, so the big ones probably be, I mean, the likes of Met Police, the, the biggest police force in the UK, one of the biggest drone users. Uh, West Midlands Police are, are a massive proponent of drones as well. Greater Manchester Police and Greater Manchester Fire. I've always been right up there as of Lancashire Police and Lancashire Fire. Lancashire Fire are probably the lead lead in terms of fire services using drones. And then there's quite a lot of the, I guess, smaller, slightly smaller police forces, maybe that have the large cities in their areas, but like Cambridge, Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire Police, Norfolk and Suffolk Police, Essex, Devon and Cornwall. And obviously your search and rescue teams as well. Shout out to uh, Lone Rescue, Northampton Rescue. They've done a lovely case study with us recently. They've got a really yeah, good team we, over there. We got some. We got some good stuff from them. We got some really good, really good information. And it's good to see. It's good to see these teams starting to starting to use the kit uh, as it was as it was intended. Not just we've now got a drone and we can we can throw it up and see what happens, but having a proper plan, a search and rescue plan where they're using their dog teams and they're using the drone all together to detect and to, and to find people in need. So yeah, the SAR teams are, uh, are really starting to ramp it up. Obviously, it's a bit harder for them because they've got to find the funding, which can be tricky. But yeah, they're, they're, they're well on board now. Yeah, absolutely. So why do you think that we've seen such a big increase in organizations using or incorporating drone technology into their workflows? I think a lot of it, a lot of it is social proof. So because you've got a few people that accelerate it early, early stages, the early adopters, as we call them, so if you've got one police force that, that, that purchases some drones and they see 
Uh, they see some great results. Either they save a life or they save a ton of money or they save a bunch of time, whatever it may be. Then other other forces or services see that happen and they all start to adopt it because because why wouldn't they? And often all the hard work's done. So if, they, if they've got, a, a, say, a police force that already has a drone team, they can copy a lot of the paperwork, the boring stuff that everyone has to do from those guys and it makes their life makes their life a lot easier so it just allows them to to bring something in with sort of minimal effort maximum results which i guess is what what everyone wants in in whatever they're doing absolutely did did you find that there's like any sort of stigma initially around bringing drones into sort of their public public safety field yeah yeah so so there was there was some especially in police i think there's a there's a public perception of why are you spending thousands of pounds on on technology and also taking police off the streets, Bobby's off the beat. When they're cutting numbers, how come they're spending so much money on, on this tech? And I think it had to be proven almost by the guys slightly lower down to their bosses, the guys higher up. But actually, if you look at this in the long term, you're going to save a lot of money and you're going to save a lot of manpower and it's going to allow you to have more more Bobby's on the beat. So they were a little bit worried about public public perception, but I think the, the early adopters create to them the likes of Dorset, Devon and Cornwall Police really pushed forward with with their drone program really early doors mm. and proved that it can be used, especially in areas like that when you've got loads of coast for search and rescue and all the kind of stuff where drones are being used for very overtly sort of safety-based applications. So you know there's nothing sinister in using a drone to search for someone that's that's, that's fallen down a cliff. There's no worries about them, you know, you know, this drone isn't being used to spy on anyone or anything like that. It's being used to save Absolutely. We don't, we don't want drones to be uh, spying on people. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I know. And, and, I, and I, that's, that's what I mean by the public perception. And um, yeah, if it's being used for something search and rescue based, it's really hard to argue that there's any negatives to that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, as I said, like search and rescue teams now using them for their missions as well, taking like saving a shed load of time what they're doing so yeah yeah and it, and it saves it, it saves them a bunch of time and it also saves them you know it saves them money as well it, it, if it's a say a fire and rescue crew that are doing a search and rescue organization they're paying overtime mm. the whole time that the crew's out there or they're paying for a helicopter to get called out whatever it may be um so if they can if they can shorten the time they're going to save you know they're going to earn the drone back in in two or three jobs yeah, I mean, I was reading the other day that it costs seventeen hundred pounds an hour to operate a police helicopter, or around about that to operate a police helicopter, compared to you operating or you operating costs for a drone, which is basically minimal. And then you know, buying the kit, you pay probably three hours worth of operational cost for a helicopter will get you a Mavic or something like that. Realistically, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing as well. Now is the tech has gone from. You know, it used to be to get something decent, you have to spend 25, 30 plus thousand pounds. But now you can get started with something for, yeah, that, that sort of ballpark. Mm. And you're going to start getting results pretty much straight away. So that's another one where it's, it's, it's helping overcome the hurdle of using drones in public safety is the results are, are very achievable for a very small risk, a very small mm. budget. So bosses and you know the higher ups are more likely to sign stuff off because they know they're gonna they're gonna get results pretty pretty quickly and easily. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's sort of rattle off the main purposes that drones are being used for in public safety. So we'll start with police. What are police using them for? Yeah, I mean the one. So the one that crosses every industry is the search and rescue side because that mm-hmm. that that kind of normally ends up being a bit of a joint effort, and it depends on the environment it's in and depends what the search is. The reason the search is for whether it's a vulnerable missing person. You know, for example, someone's someone's grand's wandered off who's got dementia and just 
opened the front door and disappeared. Happens quite a lot. Police might be involved in in that. If it's something like a uh, like a suicide risk, often the fire are involved. If they're on like a large the person, might be on a large structure, might be on a bridge, or might be on a building, and the fire service will be involved. And then if it's someone lost out in the countryside, that's when it's search and rescue. Mm-hmm. So that kind of SAR application covers everything. Um, police, there's a lot of event event management, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. So not so much for the past 18 months because none of us have been able to go anywhere or do anything. But certainly prior to everything that's happened with COVID, football matches, for example, demonstrations, rallies, political events, all that kind of stuff, put a larger drone up and you can manage like crowd flow effectively mm-hmm. to make sure there's no crushes, make sure everyone, you know, the, the public's safe. And again, it comes back to that perception. The drone isn't up there running a facial recognition software, scanning everyone in the crowd and picking out people to be arrested at a later date. Yeah. It's normally up there to make sure people aren't bottlenecking somewhere uh, yeah. and no one's going to get hurt and also to redirect redirect police officers if people need to be moved to a different area. As I said, especially football matches often in terrace, you know, built up into terraced areas. Streets are small and people can get sort of wedged in. So it's helping, helping crowd moves. And then there's stuff like uh, looking for cannabis farms. So scanning buildings with thermal cameras. Normally, again, it would be the helicopter, uh, and that can be done with, with drones. And then there's certain certain things that are a bit more active, like having drones in in armed response vehicles, and they can be quickly deployed to to just observe, say, a building or a site, make sure no one enters or exits from from a certain building while they get a cordon set up, um, and even deployed internally. We've mentioned it before on, I think, the other podcast that I did quite a lot of sort of videos and stuff out there webinars about the internal tactical drones like the Loki 2 mm-hmm. so they're being used more and more by police where they might use uh, dogs or little rovers little robots uh, they can chuck a drone through a window fly in a building and clear sort of room by room rather than a police officer doing it and put themselves at risk yeah absolutely and that's that's it isn't it it's, it's the risk that you're you're taking out of the game realistically by using a, a tactical drone like that so Sort of going past police, fire, what are we seeing? Where are we seeing fire teams use, uh, using drones then? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I mean, the obvious one with that tends to be the fires themselves. And that's the one people tend to jump to is, is using them for that. But that's not really the main application I've seen. It certainly is one. And uh, using a drone with a thermal camera to see where there's hotspots in a fire could be pretty useful. Recording any sort of event for training, for evidence, to make sure no members of the public go onto a site when there's a sort of protracted event, say there's a large, like a barn fire or an industrial estate, using drones just to keep a, a safe cordon and to make sure no one goes onto the site is is pretty useful. Um, and then I'd probably say the other main one for fire tends to be RTCs uh, and other events like that. So fire called out to car crashes and, and all that kind of stuff. And drones can be used to, uh, to build up maps, scan the area, log that as evidence, or use it to sort of plan plan searches. If there's been incidents and the, like I said, suicide risk, people wandering off, they can use the drone to plan searches, scan larger areas and set up where they're gonna start their, their man searches from there. Yeah, and I think that one, to go back to the point about sort of collision reconstruction and stuff like that, I, I think that's something that people don't necessarily think of straight away. Traditionally, it can take hours to you know gather all the evidence, map out how a collision's taken place and so you can take that back and sort of study it. Whereas now with stuff like Pix4D React and 
all that other sort of mapping software that's out there and available, it's really easy to just fly a drone around. It can take minutes rather than hours and it gets people off the, yeah. off the site quicker. The, yeah, the, the moving away, the, the big shift we're seeing, if we're keeping it sort of pretty general for, for drones in public safety, is the shift is going from, I've got a drone I can put in the air and, and take some pictures, maybe record some footage, to there's, there's a wide range of applications that I can that I can do with this one piece of kit. Mm-hmm. So it can now be used for things like mapping and you don't have to be a surveyor. You don't have to have that huge wealth of, of experience in that industry. So you can use a relatively cheap and easy to operate drone. You can use relatively cheap and easy to operate software and you can build really high resolution maps, models and use them for evidence quite quite easily and quite cheaply. So that, that step away from just the drone is just a camera in the sky. So that drone can be used to gather and, and manage evidence. That's kind of the next big step. And that's where our, as copters, side really comes into play in terms of education because we have to show people this isn't just a blunt instrument. There's, there's quite a lot of cool stuff you can you can do with this. Yeah, I mean, and drones specifically like the Mavic 2 Enterprise Advanced, the new drones come out from DJI with bolt-on stuff as, as such, such as the speaker, the beacon, the spotlight, that's really that sort of thing is becoming a lot more popular now and a lot more common where mm. you have these additional bolt-ons and it's kind of all almost laid out for you. This is you can do X, Y, and Z, and this is the full package that you can get with this drone now, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and it's building in again, it's building in software, it's building in stuff like training on how to analyze thermal data. It's pr- some of it's pretty boring stuff, like learning how to process a model or learning how to analyze thermal thermographic data. Mm-hmm. For me, it's not the most riveting thing in the world. I'd rather not be sat doing it, but it's going to make what you can gather with the drone that much more useful. And then, yeah, you pair it with actual physical payloads, like spotlights, like speakers, distraction devices, like we do from Typhon Distract for the internal drones. You know, it's it, it's gone from, as I said, a simple blunt instrument, something that can do a, a wide variety of applications. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about training and sort of being able to have like sort of minimal training. But what is yeah. what sort of training would you need to have in order to be able to operate a drone for in your like in your public or safety organization? Uh, so we tend to recommend, and this is something that the industry's the industry's mirrored whether that's because it's mirrored it because we do it or whether that's the route they were going anyway and it's nothing to do with us i'm not entirely sure but we tend to recommend them towards the gvc so as the pfco was phased away that's become the sort of primary qualification if you like and we tend to recommend that over the a2 cfc the kind of simpler version of the training just because it allows them to fly with the the least amount of restrictions possible and why would you operate at at a lower standard as a as a organization like a police force or a fire service yes you to be at that top, top yeah. level yeah so what sort of what does the gvc enable you to do that the a2 cfc doesn't really allow you to so it's mainly it's mainly just extending extending where you can and can't operate but also extending the drones you can and can't operate so a big one within emergency services is with the with the a2 yes they could operate mavics and parrot nafis and, and and not really run into too many issues especially in rural environments but as soon as they move on to bigger, heavier drones, drones over four kilos, they're going to find themselves restricted, very heavily restricted in terms of where they can and can't fly. So to that end, we always recommend the GVC as the minimum in certain terms of training. We'll normally recommend that an accountable manager or a head pilot or whoever's running the drone team, the drone team lead, does the chief pilots course as well. So say you've got 
10 pilots. One of them is the guy who's effectively set the team up. He'll do the chief pilots course alongside the GVC, just so he's a step above in terms of the qualification, in terms of the knowledge. And then depending on the applications, there'll be things like thermography training. Certainly that, if it's anything, if it's anything that's uh, relating to thermal data, which is most drone operations now in mm-hmm. emergency services and public safety, we recommend at least you know a handful of staff have that training and they can then disseminate it in a, in a sort of diluted form to everyone else in the team, but certainly worth doing. And then obviously the step from there is, is the mapping side as well. That can be a little bit later on down the line, but always worth worth looking at. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So speaking of some of the drones that we think we think are probably some of the best, what, what are the qualities that someone needs to be looking for if they are looking to incorporate drones into public their public safety organisation? So, so if we're talking product-wise, there tends to be uh, three, three sort of categories. And this is the easiest way to... to it, it is a simplification, but otherwise it just gets a bit too complex. So you'd have... Firstly, you'd have your sort of pre-planned mission drone. So your larger, larger equipment, so stuff like the Matrice 300, mm. is, is probably the best example of that that we've currently got. I'd say of the drones that we currently provide into that industry, that's the, the kind of top top tier, the top dog. So the M300 with a good quality camera like the H20T, that would be a pre-planned mission drone. Mm. And in that category, you kind of want something that's got a good IP rating and a good wind rating so it can fly in, in bad conditions. You want something that's got a good a good long battery time, M300s, normally with a payload about 40, 45 minutes. And you want the ability to carry multiple payloads that can be interchanged, potentially use it with a tether as well. And that's the one where, as the name suggests, you'll take that to an event and you'll deploy it, uh, and you'll have that up in the air pretty much all day, up and down, at a protracted event. So that's your kind of first category. There are other drones that fit in that. There are stuff like the Ace Core drones, the Neo, the Zoe. There are a handful of others as well, but the M300 is certainly the best best of that category. Um, after that, you've got the sort of, has a few different names, like Spontaneous, Quick Launch, Short Range Recon, SRR, sometimes in the sort of defense space. So that's your smaller, more compact drones, the simpler stuff, stuff like your Mavics and your Parrot and Affies. And the great thing with the Mavics now is you've got the Mavic Enterprise Advanced. So you've got something that's got a really high quality camera, you've got the spotlight and speaker and all those attachments on a tiny little drone. And that just tends to be something you can deploy really quickly, ideally in less than a minute. That's chucked in the back of a vehicle and almost forgotten about. So very little maintenance, doesn't need to update very often, doesn't need to uh, be sort of calibrated. And you take that out of the case, deploy it really quickly and chuck it in the air. So that is prime prime use for armed response vehicles, force response, search and rescue, because you're not having to lug something heavy over a field. And you can get that in the air really quickly and, and do, to be honest now, you can do pretty much 90% of what you can do with the bigger drones with something a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a pretty recent development. So if you're operating in that world, if you can use something smaller and lighter, that lowers the risk and you should. So most people are now using those more and more. And then the final category is sort of the internal space, or at least the final main category is the internal space. So that's where you'd have the, the Loki 2 as the main one. So the Sky Hero drones. So deploy them internally for firearms teams to clear buildings, but also can be used for if there's uh, incidents that fire and rescue might be called to, um, like a, a structure fire where the building is, is likely to collapse. Send the drone in and make sure there's no casualties in there that need to be evacuated quickly. And you're risking the drone and rather than, rather than risking a member of staff. Uh, and then I guess a, a sort of honourable mention shout out to sort of fixed, wing, fixed wing drones as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of them where it is getting there in the public safety space. 
I think because they're, they're they're catching up in terms of mapping and that side of things, it's maybe not quite at the same level yeah. as the other categories. Give it a year, maybe eighteen months, and that'll be. I think that'll be a big one. But that's all being held back a little bit by the, the legislation. So yeah. when we can start pushing past visual line of sight, that's when we'll start to see police, especially potentially fire, maybe search and rescue in some areas using fixed wing drones a lot more than they they currently are. I know there are one and two using them, but it's a it's a very sort of niche thing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've just recently launched a sort of a guide, a simple guide to using drones for public safety on our website, the new emergency services, uh, mm-hmm. new emergency services guide that you know, me and Sal kind of put together. So if you are interested in learning more about how drones can be used for public safety or what potential solutions are out there, you can always check that out. It's on our website as well. So just sort of to sign off, Sam, where do you sort of see drones going over the next sort of couple of years being used? Yeah, that's a big question. That is, that's the, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be working at COTS. I'd, <laughs> I'd be a millionaire. I'll be working with, with Bezos and the boys. <laughs> no, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go from, I think we're going to go towards that beyond visual line of sight is a big one. So that's obviously already a thing, but it's, it, it, it's the legislation catching up with the tech mm-hmm. in that instance. And I'd say the other one's probably like swarm technology, mm. which is another, that's kind of a buzzword at the moment is the two big buzzwords are AI. Sounds pretty scary, that swarm yeah. technology. I mean, they both do AI <laughs> and swarm. Those are the two kind of buzzwords. They do both sound a bit scary. Yeah. They're not necessarily quite what you think they are. But yeah, that, that's the kind of way it's going. And AI is being used in, in security and defense for things like you can log every vehicle, for example, that's owned by a staff member that's meant to be on a site. Mm. And then you've got a drone that flies around the site if it detects a vehicle on the site that doesn't match a member of staff, it alerts security there is mm-hmm. a vehicle on site. Um, so things like that, it's you know, it's nothing, it's nothing super sinister when we say AI, it's not a drone operating itself entirely, taking off, flying around, doing its entire mission and landing. They're getting there, but at the moment, certainly in the UK, someone always has to be in control of that drone. So yeah. it's more AI being used to, to to augment, to help the drone operator to yeah. make their life easier. I mean, they don't have to be kind of an expert pilot to carry out these these pretty complex jobs. Yeah. And then Swarm Tech, that's probably the next step on. That's another another wave ahead. There's some really cool stuff with using drones for like massive signage, especially in 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 areas in the third world. So, you know, UNICEF, for example, putting a drone swarm up which will have LEDs which will show in the sky. A bit like you see at sporting events mm-hmm. at the moment coming through, saying like, you know, aid this way, you know, this way to food and water, this way to shelter. But it'll be a huge mile square sign in the in, in the horizon, so anyone can see it for miles around, and they know where to where to go, where's safe, or you know it could even say like battle zone here mm. if there's something going on they shouldn't go towards. So so swarm tech is not necessarily. It sounds. I think it sounds sinister because it's almost militarized. Yeah, I was gonna say it does. It does sound terrifying. People Actually, it's quite quite a nice. And, yeah, all this kind of stuff. It, yeah, I mean. I've no doubt there is people working on that within, yeah. within certain areas. But yeah, within public safety, it, it, it's much more being used for sort of slightly more passive and slightly more positive ways to use the tech. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So obviously, we hope that you enjoyed uh, this sort of quick intro to how drones can be used for public safety. Sam, if people want to get into contact with you, if they're interested in how drones can aid their public safety organization, where can they find you? Yep. So my email address, probably the easiest way is sam.deniff at copters.com. Um, drop me an email anytime with any questions. Happy to help. And if you go on to copters.com into our public safety section, I think you can download the 
yes from there yeah it's live now so if you want to if you want to check that out just head over to our website public safety section or the police section and then you can get a download of that ebook on there as well yeah absolutely and if you if you want to just uh, if you you're not got any questions but you just want to connect feel free to find me on on linkedin as well just sam Deniff on linkedin happy to connect with anyone who's who's after more information and, and have a chat Cool. Right. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, for tuning in to another episode of Drone World. And we'll probably see you in the next couple of episodes. Thanks a lot. Bye.